Good morning. I want to start this morning uh, with a thank you. Uh, my family and I were all uh, tested positive for COVID-19 uh, a few weeks ago. And I just want to say this church is amazing. And so we have had an unbelievable amount of love and encouragement, cards and meals and prayers. And I just want to publicly say thank you. Uh, it's been a real joy when you go through suffering or sickness, uh, just to be reminded that God loves you through his church, uh, a real, real blessing. I'm super grateful to our leadership team here, to Don Turry and Susan Sorensen and Celeste McDonough uh, for kind of running things while I was gone. I'm especially grateful to Tom, who came off vacation and preached uh, a sermon I had written for me two weeks ago and then was supposed to be gone and decided to come back and preach last week, took a wedding that I was supposed to do and just took care of everything so that I could just be sick. Uh, I'm very grateful for elders at this church, for Bill Asgool who leads our elder board, who were far, far more concerned about how me and my family were doing than uh, work or those sorts of things. And so I'm super grateful for that. I'm most thankful for God and for his healing power. And sometimes, uh, you know, we think that our goal is to avoid suffering, but God's goal for us is to take us safely through it uh, and to be with us in the midst of it. And never once uh, did I feel like me or my family were walking alone through this. So it was really great. We're better. Uh, I still have some lingering uh, sort of tiredness and things that go uh, with the sickness. I'll just say, having been through it, it's a real disease. And uh, the prayers that you offered for us and for our family, and I know for others who have been sick with this as well that you've been praying for, please keep praying because this is uh, something that the Lord uh, needs to be gracious and merciful in the midst of, and he does that in response to our prayers. Well, Clarence uh, did a great job. Thank you for leading us in prayer as we get ready to open God's word. I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and if you're not still there, turn to the book of Malachi. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 4. And you might have noticed that you, as you were, if you were following along during the reading, that we are in the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. And it might be intriguing to you as it is to me and to many other Christians and to, to think, what does God want to say in the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament? You see, the Old Testament covers an enormous amount of human history. <clears throat> when the Old Testament opens, it is creation. God is creating the world. And through the Old Testament, we hear the stories of creation, the flood, the calling of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph going down to Egypt, Moses and the Exodus, Joshua and the conquest, the judges, the monarchy, Saul and David and Solomon, then the divided monarchy, then the exile, the return, Daniel and Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah and the prophets. And finally, we get to the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. And after all of that, all that's happened 
It's intriguing to me to think about. What is the thing that God wants to say at the end of the Old Testament? You might have heard it as we listened to Malachi being read all the way through. Over and over again, perhaps it stood out to you. Says the Lord Almighty, God is speaking through his word. What does he want to say to us today from the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament? Well, in just a minute, we're going to look at chapter four of Malachi. But to understand what chapter four of Malachi is saying, we need to realize it is answering a question. Chapter four is the answer to a question. And it's the last major question of the Old Testament. If you're in the book of Malachi, that question is the last line of chapter two. And the question is, where is God? It literally says, where is the God of justice? And this is no accident that this is the last major question of the Old Testament because it is the question of the entire Old Testament. It's the most important question of the Bible and really the most important question of human history. And it is the question, where is God? Where is God? Now, when it's asked in Malachi, and when it's asked today, it's sometimes asked in an accusatory manner. Where is the God of justice? Where is God in the face of COVID-19? Where is God amidst the unrest and injustice in America today? Where is God in the face of evil? Where is God in the face of suffering and difficulty in life? Where is God in the midst of confusion? Where is God in the face of death? And there can be an accusatory way in which we ask this question. It's being asked that way in Malachi. And sometimes we today say to God, God, where are you? Meaning, you should be doing something. This is not a factual question like, where is God? Well, he's in heaven. It's not a trivia question. It's a question, Lord, we think you ought to be doing something different than you are right now. We think this world ought to run differently than it does right now. God, where are you? But sometimes it's also just an honest question. It's the cry of the heart of the person who's suffering. Where are you, Lord? It's the question I get asked as a pastor most often. Where is God? Where is God in the midst of the trouble I'm going through? Where is God? I'm just confused. I just need to know. Why isn't God answering my prayers? Where is God in what I'm going through? And so the final chapter of the final book of the Old Testament is answering the most important question. Where is God? And in Malachi 4, we get an answer to that question. Before we look at that answer, 
I want to point out that it is actually somewhat surprising that this is the last question of the Old Testament when you remember how the Old Testament begins. You see, this is the last major question that humans ask God in Malachi 2. But if you look back at how the Old Testament opens, it opens with a question. And the first question of the Old Testament is something God asks us. It happens in Genesis chapter 3. It's after Adam and Eve eat the fruit they're not supposed to eat, after we as humans sin and disobey, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and said what? Where are you? The Old Testament opens with a question. And the question is from God to us, and the question is, where are you? You see, because of our sin and our disobedience, we've hidden from God. But by the time you get all the way through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Exodus and the conquest and the monarchy and the prophets and all that stuff, by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, the question has shifted. And we are now asking God, God, where are you? But we're minded from the first question of the Old Testament. It's not God that moved away from us. It's us who moved away from God. That it was our choice to sin. That it was our choice to run. That we've gone and hidden ourselves from God. That in the beginning, God created us for relationship with him. And when we chose to disobey, we hid from God. And the Old Testament opens with the question of God saying, where are you? And the Old Testament closes with the question of us saying to God, God, where are you? And that same strange dialogue continues to this day. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of evil, in the midst of death, we keep saying to God, God, where are you? And God keeps saying back to us, where are you? But amazingly, even though our question God, where are you? Is sometimes full of accusations, sometimes accusing God of injustice. God still chooses to answer the question. You see, the book of Malachi is trying to frame this discussion between the first question of the Old Testament and the last question of the Old Testament. Malachi 1 opens with God saying, look, I didn't stop loving you, you stopped loving me. I didn't stop being a great God among the nations. You stopped giving me the worship I deserve. In chapter two, he says, I didn't break the covenant with Levi. You've been unfaithful priests. You've been unfaithful to your spouses. You've stopped giving your tithes. You've stopped embracing humility. Yet in the midst of the truth of the matter of the fact that we left God, he didn't leave us. He still chooses to answer 
our accusatory and sometimes honest question, God, where are you? The fullness of the answer comes in chapter four, but the setup is in chapter three. So look at how God answers this question. Where is the God of justice? Chapter three, verse one. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come says the Lord Almighty. What is the answer to the question, where is God? He's coming. There's gonna be a messenger, and then he's gonna come. And God will come to his temple and to the earth. And the answer to the question, where is God? He is coming. Chapter three is still the setup. Keep going with me, verse two. But who can endure the what? The day of his coming. I want you to underline the word day or take note of the word day, pay attention to it. There is coming a day in which the Lord will come to the earth. Who can endure the day of his coming? And then it's described for us. Jump down to verse 17 of chapter three. On the day when I act. What day? The day of his coming. Where is God? A messenger's coming, and then he's going to show up, and he's going to show up on a specific day. Verse 17 says, on the day when I act, the day when I come to the earth. All that's preparation for chapter four. The fullness of to the answer of the final question of the Old Testament, the fullness to the answer of the question of the Bible, where is God? Verse, chapter four, verse one. Surely the day is coming. What day? The day when the Lord comes. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming, what day? The day of the Lord's coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act. What day? The day of the Lord's coming, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day that the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Where is God? He is coming. Four things about his coming that we need to take note of from this chapter. Number one, the day of his coming is called the day of the Lord. Do you see it in verse five? I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful, great and dreadful day of the Lord 
comes. The day of the Lord's coming is called throughout the Bible the day of the Lord. It's not surprising that the last chapter of the Old Testament should talk about the day of the Lord. This is a major theme in the prophets of the Old Testament. Whenever you see the phrase the day of the Lord, it's always referring to the same thing. The day of God's coming to the earth. Where is God? He is coming. The name of that day is called the day of the Lord. Number two, that day will be a day of judgment. Verse one, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, they will be burned up. Where is God in the face of evil? Where is God in the midst of injustice? Where is God in the midst of all of the wrong that's happening in the world? God says, there is a day coming and I will set the evildoers on fire. When I show up, it will be a day of judgment. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet. You will trample on the wicked, and if there is no repentance, I will strike the entire land with total destruction. It's a day of judgment. Number three. The day of the Lord is a day of salvation and a day of rescue. Verse three, but for you who revere my name, not those who do enough good works, but for those who fear the Lord, Pastor Tom walked us through this last week. What matters is your faith response to God. Those who revere my name, the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness will rise with healing its rays and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. I have no idea what frolicking calves even looks like. But it sounds great to me. It sounds like fun. I imagine just calves skipping around. It's a day of salvation. It's a day of rescue. It's a day of unalterated joy. The day of the Lord for those who revere his name. And then fourth, it's a day connected to Moses and Elijah. Verse four, remember Moses and the laws I gave him. Verse five, Elijah's coming before that day. Now why should the day of the Lord be connected to Moses and Elijah? It's because these are the two Old Testament figures who experience sort of sneak previews of the day of the Lord. You might remember that both of them experience what we call a theophany, which is an appearance of God on the earth. Moses experiences it on Mount Sinai. Another name for Mount Sinai, by the way, is Mount Horeb. Horeb and Sinai, same mountain. When Moses is on Mount Sinai, he basically says, God, I want to see you. And so God shows as much of himself to Moses as he's able. He puts him in the cleft of the rock and he reveals his glory to him. Elijah, years later, same mountain, Horeb and Sinai, after fire comes from heaven, Elijah's in the period of discouragement and doubt, asking the question, where is God? Where is God in the midst of this? And he goes on a journey and God leads him to the exact same mountain that Moses was on. And he climbs up that mountain and he says, where is God? And God appears to him 
Not in the storm or in the fire, but in a still small voice. And he speaks to him. Remember, the day of the Lord is an answer to the question, where is God? And in the Old Testament, two people, Moses and Elijah, most experienced sneak previews of what the answer to that question is. And so the day of the Lord, his real coming is connected to Moses and Elijah. This is how the Old Testament closes. The ultimate question, where is God? He is coming. The day of his coming is called the day of the Lord. It's a day of judgment. It's a day of salvation. And it's a day associated with Moses and Elijah. That is how the Old Testament ends. Let's look and see how the New Testament opens in fulfillment of the close of the Old Testament. I'd like you to turn over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, just a few pages to the right. Matthew chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the what? Sun, S-U-N, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them who? Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. This is the transfiguration. Jesus goes up a mountain with three disciples, Peter, James, and John. On the mountain, he is transfigured before them. His face begins to glow like the sun in the sky. And who appears with him? Moses and Elijah. What is happening here? This is Malachi 4. This is Malachi 4. Moses and Elijah, the son of righteousness, S-U-N. Jesus is appearing in his glory and these three disciples are on the mountain with Jesus and they are watching this all happen and they are good readers of the Old Testament and they realize this is Malachi 4. This is the close of the Old Testament. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been longing for. So Peter's like, let's build some booths and let's stay up here. The discussion goes on. Go down to verse 10. As they're coming down the mountain, the disciples asked Jesus, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Where did they get that from? Malachi 4. I will send you Elijah before the day of the Lord. Peter, James, and John have realized this is it. This is the day of God's coming. And their question is, wait a second. I thought Elijah had to come before the day of the Lord. Jesus replies, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. 
Where is God? I will send my messenger. And then the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. When the New Testament opens, John the Baptist comes as the messenger who is Elijah. And then comes Jesus. And the answer of the New Testament to the question, where is God? He has come among us in the person of Jesus. He's come to dwell. God himself has come to dwell among us in the person of Jesus. What Malachi is waiting for, looking forward to, is the coming of Jesus to the earth. And we say amen. But deep in our hearts, we're still asking the same question. Okay, great. Where is God? He's in Jesus. That just leaves us with another question. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in the face of COVID-19? Where is Jesus in the face of injustice and suffering and rebellion in America today? Where is Jesus in the face of death? Where is Jesus in my confusion? Where is Jesus in my troubles and in my struggles? We've got an answer to the question, where is God? He is in Jesus. But now we just got the question, well, where is Jesus? And Matthew 17 gives us four answers to that question. The first answer is that he's present in the church. Now, today, here, in this place. You're in Matthew 17. Just let your eyes glance over to Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. How many non-Old Testament, non-Jesus figures are present on the mountain of transfiguration? Peter, James, and John. What does Jesus say will happen when two or three gather together? He will be revealed in our midst. Matthew 17 is a sneak preview of the church. Jesus says there is coming through the Spirit the ability for us to gather together. And right now, the answer to the question, where is Jesus? He's here in a unique way. He's present among us. By the way, what day does the church meet on? We've got two answers, and you've, you've said them both. Let's take them in order. The first, Sunday. Sun. S-U-N, Sunday, the day named for the sun. The sun will rise with healing in its rays. Jesus was transfigured like the sun. Every week when we gather, we are reminded it's Sunday. What's the other name for the day in which the church meets? The Lord's Day. The day of the Lord. We are reminded that every Sunday is a mini day of the Lord. That here in the church, God is present among us. This is why we are pressing and working so hard to be able to gather back together again. 
because this is where we meet with Jesus. I understand that during this season, there are exceptions to some people not being able to be present with us, but this is the exception and not the rule. And the reason for 2,000 years in the midst of persecution and difficulty, people continue to try to gather together is because how can you survive without an experience of Jesus? What are you gonna do in the midst of suffering? How are you gonna make it in the midst of injustice and in evil in this world? Where are you going to find him? In his church. And so we're working and praying and laboring. The internet thing is a blessing from the Lord, but it's an exception and not the rule. We're trying to gather together because Jesus is among us in a powerful way. The second answer to the question in Matthew 17 of where is Jesus? He's with us in our suffering. Do you see at the end of verse 12? In the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Matthew 17 is telling us, look, the day of the Lord has only come in part with the first coming of Jesus. It's another sermon and another explanation to say why God split this up. But one of the reasons is because there needs to be suffering. And 1 Peter 4 tells us, rejoice when you go through suffering because Jesus is present with you in unique ways. And this is the whole where are you, where are you question from the Old Testament. The reason why we don't see Jesus as much is because we are usually running away from suffering while he is running towards it. And he's running, we're running away saying we gotta get away from this. Suffering is where he lives. It's where he hangs out. Jesus spends time with people who are suffering. He spends time with sinners. He spends time in the midst of the pain and the evil and the injustice. That's where he sets up camp. And we ask ourselves, where is Jesus? And he's saying, where are you? You abandoned me in the midst of the suffering. You ran the other direction. Where is Jesus in this age during this time? He is with the person who is suffering. He himself suffered and he draws near in a unique way when we suffer. The third answer to the question, according to Matthew 17, where is Jesus in this age? Where is Jesus right now? He's present with us, but in disguise. You can only see him with eyes of faith. When Peter, James, and John went up that mountain, they saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. They didn't see Jesus, Moses, and John the Baptist. I don't know how they know it's Elijah. I don't know if he's got a name tag on that says, hello, my name is Elijah. I don't know that. I don't know if there's like pictures that they had for years, paintings of Moses and Elijah. I don't know how they know, but somehow they know this is Moses and Elijah. Why don't they realize that somehow it's John the Baptist? Because John the Baptist is Elijah, but only as seen through the eyes of faith. His mom didn't give birth to John the Baptist. Go, oh, look, it's Elijah. She thought, it's John. How can you see him? With the eyes of faith. Jesus is gonna say the exact same thing in Matthew 25. He's gonna say, we're gonna to get to the end of the age. And Jesus is gonna say, 
You took care of me when you blessed the poor, when you fought for the foreigner, when you visited the prisoner, when you loved the widow. And we're going to say to him, when did we see you in any of those? And he was like, I was there in disguise. Jesus is present among us in the poor, in those who are suffering injustice, in those who are imprisoned, in those who need help. But you can only see him with the eyes of faith. He's among us, but he's in disguise. And then the fourth answer to the question, where is Jesus? Is an answer we're gonna spend the next 33 weeks studying in the book of Revelation. And the answer is, he's coming. Matthew 17 is not a sneak preview of the first coming. It's a sneak preview of the second coming. Jesus is going to return to this earth in the fullness of his glory and all the wicked will be burned up. God forbid, what a horrendous thing is coming. And those who revere his name will be rescued with joy. And the last chapter of the last book of the New Testament finally brings together Genesis 3, God saying, where are you? Malachi 4, us saying to God, where are you? Finally, both questions are answered. And God and those who love him dwell together forever, never again asking the question, where are you? And so Matthew 17 says, where is Jesus? He's present right now in the church, right now today in the church, here he's present. He's present in a unique way in the midst of our suffering. He's present in disguise among us, in the people that we serve and in, in other ways that we might not expect to see him. And he is coming again. Two and a half weeks ago, I tested positive for COVID-19. Do you know what my first question was? God, where are you? God, where are you? I got this by going to speak at a camp that the Lord sent me to speak at. And we followed the rules more than most people there. We wore our masks and we didn't go to sort of high risks events. And my question was, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this? And you know what his answer was? I'm here in the church. And man, have I felt that. In the prayers, in the meals, in the kindness, in the love, the elders praying over us virtually on Zoom, that's powerful. People saying, hey, look, we got this. We'll take care of this. That's powerful. People saying, look, we're praying for you every day. And I feel him in the church. I feel him here. Where else? In the suffering. 
Jesus said the goal is not to avoid sickness and death for the rest of your life. The goal is for me to take you safely through it. And I'm just going to tell you that I'm on the other side of having gotten the sickness that we have been talking about and fearing and experiencing and reading about and having God walk. I think I got through it because the elders prayed over us. And I think I got through it because you were praying for us. And I think I got through it because God is a powerful healing God. Even if I hadn't, heaven is waiting on the other side and God says, look, the goal is to get you through suffering and the entire time, I felt like the Lord saying, I'm here with you. And whatever's on the other side of this, I don't know, there could be lasting damage. I still, there's some tiredness that goes with that. I can still feel something in my chest. I don't know, but what I do know is never once did I walk alone. And I felt like Jesus said, I'm here with you. And the crazy thing was, I didn't pick this. But Jesus said, will you come join me in suffering? And I said, yes, I will. Where else did I experience Jesus? He's in COVID-19. You just have to see him with the eyes of faith. COVID-19 is judgment and salvation from God. Not the fullness of judgment nor the fullness of salvation, but somehow in the midst of this disease, I told you before I even got it, this is a plague. And Habakkuk 3 says, when God walks on the earth, plagues go before him and pestilence follows behind him. And I saw Jesus in COVID-19. You're like, how in the world could Jesus be present in a plague? Same way John the Baptist is somehow Elijah. You have to see it with the eyes of faith. And where else did I see Jesus? I saw him in the midst of a sickness that I thought, well, this is the real deal. This is not fun. I could see how this could end people's lives. I could see how this is a major deal. And my heart longed for Jesus to come back. And in the midst of all the unrest in the country and the protests and the injustices and the people angry with one another and all the junk in the politics and in business and in schools and all that stuff, in the midst of the sickness and people like, I'm not wearing a mask and people like, what are you afraid of? And people afraid of things. In the midst of all of it, I think, man, Jesus, I'm ready for you to come back. I'm ready for you to run this world. I'm ready for you to finally put things in the right. The final chapter of the Old Testament closes with an answer to the all-important question. Where is God? The New Testament begins to fill out the answer to that question. He's in Jesus. Right now, he's present through Jesus in the church in the midst of our suffering, with us in suffering, in disguise among us in ways that we don't know to look except by the eyes of faith. And then with the ultimate promise, he is coming. The day of the Lord in its fullness is coming. It will be a day of judgment and it will be a day of salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, these are big thoughts and big ideas. 
from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament. Lord, forgive us. We thought you had abandoned us, but we're the ones who have abandoned you. Thank you that in your mercy you choose to chase after us. You could just stay in heaven and demand that we come back to you. But instead, as Clarence prayed before we even began preaching, you leave the 99 to come find us. We're the sheep that wandered off. We're the ones that have gone our own way. Lord, this world, we made this mess. You didn't. We've chosen insubordination. We've chosen arrogance. We've chosen selfishness. We've chosen pride. But God, you've continued to love us. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you, through him, have chosen to dwell among us. Thank you, Jesus, for being present here this morning. I thank you personally, Jesus, for being present in the midst of our family suffering. And I know you have been present in the midst of this church and others who have been suffering. Give us eyes of faith to see you in all sorts of different ways. In things that government might be doing, in closing down sports or schools, in sickness, in the medical community. Lord, help us to see you in these places. Help us to see you, Lord, in the prayers of your people, in the cup of cold water, in the blessings that come in your church. And thank you, Jesus, that this is not all we're hoping for. And as next week we start the book of Revelation, would you prepare our hearts and minds that we might understand how you are going to be revealed in all the world. And may your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. For we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.